What's going on, everybody? It's Benji and Chris. Today we have episode number eight of the Generation Fit podcast. We're going to be going over a back training masterclass. So this episode's for anyone who struggles with their back training. They want to get a bigger back. They want to look a little closer to Dorian Yates. They want that thick, wide back. They want to be able to fly. Yeah, a lot of times it's just a misunderstanding of what back muscles do, uh, the positioning of them, uh, the way they move, and a lot of biases against them. And after listening to this, you'll kind of at least have an understanding of why your training is either suboptimal or is not optimal at all because you're focusing on the wrong things or you're moving in the wrong directions in relation to your back. Exactly. And the great thing about this is that what you're probably going to find out is that your training will become actually far more simplistic, but far more effective as well. Before we start the episode, just want to remind everyone to go to www.thegenerationfit.com. We've got tons of free resources, free videos, PDFs, and guides. So definitely go check it out because it will help you a lot with whatever fitness goal you might have. All right. So before we get started on how to get a bigger back, you have to first understand what your back is comprised of. Okay. So we're going to start from the top down. So from the neck and the head. So basically you have your upper traps or what we call it catching bears. So when people have big necks or traps that they have muscles that run up all the way up to the top or the back of their spine, right behind the, the skull. And it goes all the way down to right around your AC joint or the shoulder. So it should be, it's a pretty big muscle and that's just the upper traps and the neck. Okay. Now going straight down from there, going from down to the spine, you're going to notice that right between the shoulder blades becomes the mid trap or the trap twos. And those are the muscles that also really make it thick from behind. And those muscles help you squeeze the shoulder blades back. Okay. Now going out from there. So right behind the shoulders, you have your rear delts. And those muscles just help you bring your shoulders also back behind you and across what we call horizontal adduction. Okay. Now, right under that, underneath the armpit, there's like a little bubbly looking muscle. It is a straight line, but that's what makes it really pop out. That V tapered look It's called the teres major. And that teres major sits right underneath the armpit, which also attaches to the lat. It's also called lat's little helper, but it's that really close point underneath the armpit. Yeah. Well, for people watching, you could literally just show them on me. Like it's literally right here. Yep. It's what comes out. That bubble. That, yeah. What we call the bubble in bodybuilding. And then the lats. The lats is a huge muscle. The lats actually start from the front of the side, inside of your shoulder, and then it wraps all the way underneath and it attaches into your spine and it goes all the way down to basically the bottom of your spine, all the way down to one of your hip bones. So it is a big, big looking muscle. Okay. That's why we also call it the wings. Yep. All right, now into the, the smaller muscles, but they're very important too. Uh, the rhomboids, they also sit between the shoulder blades. It helps you squeeze the shoulder blades together. The lower traps, uh, most people don't understand this muscle, but this muscle actually brings your arm up above your head. And especially if you start at around like a 30 degree angle, so not directly in front of you, but about 30 degrees out. And then you bring your, your arm all the way up in that position. Yep, thumbs pointed up too. You're going to activate it a little more. Yeah, it's a very small muscle, but it's really huge, especially with stability exercises. And the last, but certainly not least, the erector spinae, and that is one of the deepest muscles. That muscle group is the two muscles, well, it's three muscles actually, but you prominently see the two run straight up the spine. So on the bottom portion where the, the lower spine is, you're going to be able to see it really stick out. And as it goes up, you're, it kind of digs underneath the other muscles that are bigger. So for example, it's like, it'll run under, and then you'll see predominantly, predominantly the traps, rom, uh, the traps and then some of the lat muscles covering over on top of it. But you will see it on guys who deadlift and do a lot of back work. It really sticks out like a Christmas yeah. tree. Yeah, that's what we're, I was going to say is that when people say, oh, his back looks like a Christmas tree, this is going to be the muscle where it makes it look like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's basically like, like the, uh, the root or the trunk of the tree. Yeah. Okay, so now that we went over the anatomy, there's a big genetic component as well. So a lot of people want that really wide back or that really thick back. And it's not to say that you can't get that. This is what this whole back master class is for, but some people are going to have better genetic starting points than others. So as an example, my back is just happens to be much wider without thinking about my training that much, as opposed to other muscle groups on my body, or really my lats tend to be more larger than other parts on my back itself. My traps, for example, insert really high. So 
when I'm posing, it looks a little weird, but it also makes me look a little thinner as well. So I don't focus on training that as much. So there's lots of individual variances when it comes to that. Yeah. So you you have uh, a lot of muscles that work together here. And uh, a lot of times you'll notice after a, a couple months of training that some things are developing more than others and that you'll feel more muscle, other muscles more than the other. And in this case, for just uh, the genetic role, some people just have really, really, really long insertions. So those are the people with the backs that like come out like five inches wide and then come like underneath your armpit. It looks, it really looks like about to fly away. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And it comes right back in into your waist. Whereas some people do have a shorter insertion. So it kind of comes in. It looks like, it looks like you're wearing a squirrel. Suit. Yeah. It means like the, it doesn't insert as low to yeah. it. Right. Like, so that's when you see like it go all the way down into the waist. That's when it inserts low. Right. And you can actually yeah. see it on people that are really lean. You'll see literally where it inserts, where the lat stops. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jeff but, Cavalier, <laughs> right? You can yeah. see literally he's an anatomy chart. So you can see that this is where every little thing inserts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's definitely on the thinner side of that too. I mean, I'm not saying he's, the, he's a bodybuilder. We're just saying that you can, you're able to see what yeah. it looks like to have a different insertion point. Uh, and in terms of uh, just overall genetic role, uh, I, what I would put in the perspective of is cover your bases first, which we'll explain in just a second. And once you've covered your bases, then you can start doing some specific work or uh, specific isolations to target muscles that you want to grow. But we always recommend doing at least the base fundamentals and then breaking on from there. So then you can at least say, hey, I've tried everything I can to achieve a decent back. And then from here, you just want to specialize in certain muscle groups after the fact that you've covered most of your bases. Yeah, I think that back training is sometimes overcomplicated and people try to do too much variability. They have like 10,000 exercises in one day and it's just, they they don't get the full benefits of any single exercise. The best exercise is as when it comes to building a foundation. Um, you know that YouTuber, his name's like Sean Nalawanji or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. it's huge. I, I was preparing for this video. Like I was just looking at some of his back videos to see if there's anything I was missing. And he, he said that he did the same three back exercises straight for three years. And like, that's all he did. It was like a row a one vertical pull, like a pull up. And then like, he had like one other thing thrown in like a machine exercise. And mm -hmm. you know, it's like very oversimplified. But the point is, is that sometimes it's much better to be on that side than the other side where you're just throwing in a bunch of different exercises and you're not even covering your, your bases. So it, it's pretty interesting how that works. And I think I've ran into that problem the last few years. I was talking to you about this before the podcast. I over complicated everything when mm -hmm. really I should have just been focusing on getting stronger at the core things because a lot of people try to mimic what the best, most advanced people are doing, but the best, most advanced people aren't doing the training they're doing now when they were trying to get to the point they are now. They yes. were doing different things. Mm -hmm. So there's no point in like mimicking someone's chapter 22 when you're on chapter two. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And just, and just a, uh, a little tidbit on posture. So your posture will create a big role. And in this case, uh, let's say you already have a good base, but you have rounded shoulders that actually makes your lats look wider. Yeah. But it also puts you at a disadvantage for a lot of your pushing and pushing muscles mm -hmm. and your pulling muscles. So for pushing, you might actually be more over, over dominant. And on top of your pulling muscles, especially for this uh, podcast, for this understanding that when you're pulling from a longer range of motion, most of the time you are not going to be able to pull all the way back as far as you can. So your range of motion is limited. So that, that being said, you're already handicapping yourself. Yep. For a lot of your back movements, I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. Just understand that you are putting yourself in a position where it is less or it's disadvantageous. Yeah, when you're doing a lat spread, whether it's a back lat spread or front lat spread, you're internally rotating the shit out of your shoulders as much as possible. I know when we were doing posing one time and my internal rotation, especially on my right side, is not that good. It's gotten a lot better. And you're like, you have at least half more to go on your lat spread. And then when you took the picture and I wasn't even fully there, it's like, holy shit, my back's that like wide compared to what I thought it was. Yeah. And so it's ridiculous. Like I think that um, a lot of bodybuilders even, especially because posing as an art form is kind of deteriorating a little bit. They, their lats are actually much bigger than they look on stage just because of the, um, and I know people will be like, who are you to say that? You don't compete, <laughs> whatever. But like it, it's basic like, human movement, right? And anatomy, like you internally rotate your shoulders like that and they're just going to pop more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just lengthening. You're basically lengthening the, the muscle group. And to do that, you're just trying to do the, basically the opposite of how to contract it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, it was Jay Cutler who said that once he 
open like learn to open his lats up more. So I know you were saying like the the uh shortened packs a little bit like that, but like yep. once he you know, he opened those lats up more. Like I think he was doing like yoga or something. Like he went to like a yoga instructor and he said that just on stage his lats started to just pop more because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were they were more in that position more so that they they were just more visible. Yeah. Of what he already had. Yeah, and he's already pretty damn jacked. So Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have any problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So most of you are wondering what exercises should you do first? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a step back and start from a blank canvas and understand that one of the most important things is understanding how much work you need to do for your, you know, each muscle group just so you can actually progress in the gym and to actually make gains. So starting off with volume, just total work done. Uh, we recommend starting at eight to 10 sets. That is actually the very low end yep. for training. And the reason why we say start at the low end is because you can always add more and recover from it than the other way around of doing too much. And then you have to dial it back again. So you'd rather t- add incrementally than to start and then stop short because you're either injured, tired, or unrecovered. Yeah, someone that's more beginner is going to be able to start at somewhere between like really like even less than eight sets because they could pick up a dumbbell. And like I was saying before, like they could do like a chest press and grow their back just because they never did anything that provided that stimulus. But I think once you get into a more intermediate to advanced phase, that's when we recommend upping the volume a little more in regards to sets. So that would mean really you can take that bottom end number eight to 10 and work up to a point where you're getting up to an advanced side uh, 20 to 22 sets if you're on the higher end of things. Mm -hmm. Because the back can handle a lot over time. Yeah, it most certainly can. Uh, One of the biggest things right now is put at the forefront is that it most people aren't doing or performing it at its most efficient way possible. Yeah. I definitely didn't say that as correctly as I wanted to, but you get the idea that in practice, people aren't moving their lats or moving their back muscles in line or they're not squeezing it as well as they can. And that will result in you saying I something along the lines of I need to do more volume. Where, where realistically, it becomes you're just not doing it as best as you can or you haven't learned it. So that's why I, before we go even further, I always mention that we got to get your technique down first or, or at least understand your anatomy and how you feel your back, but making sure that you're already sitting around eight to 10 sets and still progressing from there, at least when you start there. Yeah, if you, and I've learned this lesson the hard way with basically every muscle group, when you contract your whatever muscle that you're training properly. So in this case, let's say your lats, you might be able to get away with doing 10 to 12 sets and growing as much as you did when you were doing 20 sets just because of the fact that you are properly contracting the actual target muscle. You're not using all the synergist muscles or everything but that muscle just in an effort to do more weight on the lap hold-down machine. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which actually perfectly leads right into intensity. So there's two types. So intensity of load or just the total weight on the bar or the total weight that you're doing. Now, the back can handle a significant amount of weights and one of the things we're going to go forward with is going to tell you about uh, isolation work with the back. Well, understand that the back does handle at least not moving with a lot of weight, but when you are trying to pull for your exercises, it is not conducive to do a lot of rep maxing or a lot of very, very low numbered rows. Not to say they're not valuable. We're just saying that if you stay within the one to six rep range in rowing, that most of the time that you will start to cheat or do some sort of momentum work. And for most people, that will not be conducive to your back growth. What we recommend, at least in the beginning stages, is to do a higher rep range or lower load so you can actually start feeling the right muscles. And once you've become competent, then you can start going to the lower rep ranges and really understanding how to squeeze at those ranges. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that the... Like we were having this conversation before about which muscle groups have what type of muscle fibers on average, everyone's going to be different, whether like some people might have more type one than type two in their back relative to the average person. But I think that the back from at least my experience works better in the at least the eight to 12 range. And then anything below that, it just hasn't responded as well too. But that's not to say that it's not can't handle heavy weight. I think the recommendation, this goes for most exercises in general in the gym is Focusing on maybe a little bit of the higher rep range just to make sure you can actually feel that muscle and properly contract it so that when you're trying to progressive overload in lower rep ranges, you're actually contracting the proper muscle, not just ego lifting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, which comes into intensity of effort. And all, all that means is how far away from you are you from technical failure here? In this case, we won't go into just absolute failure because that's just for safety reasons. And this is going a little bit further too, but understand that, that for the back, the back muscles get tired or it's harder to do a movement as you get closer to the shortened position. So think of it as like a row. Once you get your elbow past your midline or your body, as you go further back where most of the gains are made in the lats, that that point is the, is the hardest part. So once you actually, quote unquote, can't do another rep, you actually can still do like a half rep. Like that, that half rep range is super easy. Probably like a million half reps, actually. Yeah, yeah you can keep going. I, I, like that's That first beginning part of the motion for a row is super easy. But once you get past that midline and actually get the elbow behind you and then try to really rotate it into your spine, that, that part is insanely hard. And that's where I tell people, that's where you want to start gauging your intensity of effort because otherwise you're going to be going 10 reps, really good ones. And the next thing you know, you have on your sheet, 15 reps. And I watched the video and by the 11th rep, I'm seeing some sort of jerk or like you're going to go in halfway up and you're going to tell me, Chris, I didn't feel anything in my back. I just was doing it at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's important to standardize your range of motion with any exercise, regardless of the muscle group, but just so you could gauge your progress, right? Also, as well, you don't want to over fatigue yourself by having gone through a full range of motion for, like you said, 11 reps out of the 15. And then the other four reps in addition to that, you're actually essentially going past failure because you're doing a bunch of partial reps after you fully exhausted your full range of motion with that muscle group in a given exercise. So on vertical pulling, for example, let's say you're doing a lat pull down. If you're planning on, and this is what we would recommend, touching the bar right to your sternum and your upper chest, then every single repetition, touch the bar to that same point. Because once you get to the point where it's not touching that part anymore, you've now gone against your standardized range of motion. You didn't complete a full rep. And if you're still counting that as a full rep, you're not going to be able to properly gauge your progress and properly progressive overload. Yeah, this is actually one of the most common faults you see at the gym is you, yeah. you walk around, you walk around for about five minutes around the gym. And once you pass the lap pull down machine, you can definitely see the guy or gal that's leaning, leaning back, using momentum, not even hitting their chest. And not just a little momentum, like that's the whole movement. Oh, they're rocking. They're basically yeah. doing a crew, like from the Yale, yeah. like uh, just absolutely pulling their lower back out, mm. rolling as much weight as they can. They're strapped up into the bar with uh, Versa grips. And they're trying to get as much weight on there as possible. Whereas realistically, you can just really use controlled motion, hit that same spot. And once you can't get to that same spot, I'm not saying it's worthless to actually like stop right there, but it's understanding that once you don't have that range of motion, that you're not using the entirety of that portion of your, in this case, the vertical pulling lats. Yeah. And maybe you want to go over like horizontal pulling as well. So like a pen lay row or a dumbbell row, how do we standardize our range of motion for that? Yeah. So you have... Basically, the lats overall bring your shoulders back and also bring your elbows behind your back and also internally rotate them in your shoulder. So to do this, what we recommend is to start with a slight upper back arch. So basically like a slightly, we call it bad posture for the people that are listening in front of you. And when, as you pull, what you want to do is for the lats is to bring your shoulder blades down so your neck isn't active at all. And when you do so, you're gonna think about sticking your chest up, squeezing your shoulder blades first, and then pulling all the way back, popping your chest out, squeezing the elbows behind your back, and holding as the, in this case, let's say cable row, that the attachment with the triangle is touching your stomach or belly button area. And you're gonna hold there for a second. And you'll understand once you actually get there, that it actually is hard, way harder at that end rep range where it's about to touch your belly button. And that's in the entire point because that muscle is at its weakest point at that. Yeah, and there's something to be said about squeezing it there for an extra second, especially, and we'll get into all the little nuances in a little bit, but like when you're working, a lot of people want that thicker back, which usually when they refer to that, they're talking about the middle back muscles becoming uh, hypertrophying. So really that holding that for an extra second on a movement like you were just describing before is going to do wonders because you're actually able to work those muscles through a full range of motion and actually squeeze the shoulder blades together as opposed to not getting that full standardized 
range of motion because when you don't really standardize that range of motion, a lot of times if you're trying to work that middle back, you're doing too much weight and you can't bring your shoulder blades together whatsoever. And I think that's why it's so hard for lots of people, including myself, I'm getting much better at it, but to feel my upper back whatsoever when I'm trying to contract it and make it grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, that's my back has actually have been the, one of the weakest points because I developed it through very heavy lifting. And once I understood actually how to contract it and how, what to look for in my lats, that's when actually I started progressing in all my other lifts, especially the deadlift, because the bottom part of the lats is responsible for bracing with the core. So without it, uh, you're just looking to hurt yourself, which I have in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe we can get into the next tenant, basically, of your training, which is going to be frequency. So for the average person who, who's a beginner, intermediate, or really most people that are training, unless they're really trying to bring up their back and all the other muscles are very developed, you're going to be wanting to train your back at least two times per week. And these two days can be separated to mitigate fatigue and make things easier for you to into actually vertical pulling and horizontal pulling. So one day could be your vertical pulls, which for people watching, it's your arms are going to start above you and you're going to be pulling downwards. It's, it's hence the name vertical. It's going up and down. And those are going to be your lat pull downs and your pull ups or your assisted pull ups. And then there's going to be horizontal pulls. So that could be anything from cable rows to barbell rows, single arm dumbbell rows, you name it, anything like that. Yeah, we we do recommend doing two times per week. So in this case, if you're planning your workout regimen, we just recommend doing, that means four sets of a horizontal row one day, and then on another day, four sets of vertical pulling. And once you have that base, and as you're still progressing, then you kind of want to stay there. And then let's say after a certain amount of time that you're looking at your back and you go, okay, I want it to look even better or bigger at these portions or parts of my back after a solid couple months of training with good foundation, then you can start adding more volume in, pl in places where you want to develop. So like, let's say after those six months of you doing horizontal and vertical pulling, just one exercise each, that you want a bigger mid back, like the traps area, the, uh, the mid traps. So those, those muscles are responsible for bringing your arms behind your back and squeezing the shoulder blades. So we call that shoulder blade retraction and also just shoulder horizontal ad adduction. Abduction. Abduction. Mm -hmm. Abduction. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard to remember sometimes. It's just like, like we know it's, just, we know the movement it's abduction, adduction. It's yeah, always, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in this case is then we can, yes, add some reverse flies, mid rows, stuff that will hit that target area. But if you don't have the base down, then we don't, we shouldn't go forward with adding more volume because you haven't gotten either yeah. the movement down or the total work down to be able to add more and feel the right muscles. Yeah, out. we're going to talk about individual exercise selection in a second. But like you said, you have to get your basic um, you have to cover like your basic ground. So we know lots of people who will just do like pull ups and maybe some rows their whole career of lifting and their whole back will become developed. Like there's people that exist like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people where they cover their basic grounds and they do, let's say, just a simple pull-up and a simple barbell row, and they're extremely lacking in one part of their back. And in that, yeah. that case, they're going to add volume into that particular area. But th the key is to keep in those fundamental movements first and then build upon that because that's still where the most of your gains for your back are going to come are those basic movements. And then you fill in the rest of the gaps as opposed to folk micromanaging each little muscle in your back and only working on this one tiny part in your back and then losing out on all the gains from the biggest muscle groups. Like imagine if you're like, Oh, I really want big upper traps and you focus on that, but you don't even do four sets a week for your lats. <laughs> That's where most of the meat on your back is going to come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got just make sure that you check off all your boxes. You're doing a, a one major horizontal row, one vertical row. And then from there, then you can start deciding if you want to still build some other muscles in your back that aren't coming through. So, you know, an example for me is anytime I do just pulling, my tr my upper traps won't grow. And that's just because I'm doing a good job of really keeping my traps down and out of the equation when I do any back movement. And it's also to a detriment of that means I need to add some sort of trap volume just to ha just to have some height on my trap slash neck area. So I found out for me that doing lots of heavy holding 
has built my traps the fastest and the most overall, overall than shrugging. Um, and that's just because the traps are doing a good, great job of complete isolation when you're holding something. Constantly firing. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly firing without necessarily shortening or length, lengthening when you're doing farmer walks or heavy deadlifts. Uh, most people who can hold heavy weights have big traps and yep. it's because it has to be able to stabilize your body, your upper, upper neck and back area. Yeah, that's why people that deadlift a lot or rack pull a lot usually have really big traps, even though they're not doing it for their traps. Like imagine doing yeah. deadlifts and you're like, I just want to build big traps for my deadlifts. But <laughs> but no, like they, a lot of people that deadlift a lot just happen to have big traps. I mean, the deadlift's my strongest lift and it also has a lot to do with my insertions just because they insert higher. But my upper traps has always been much bigger to the point where, and this comes back to the individual variances, but I don't train them at all because like I said, it makes... When sometimes when you have two overdeveloped upper traps, and this goes into the whole V taper thing we were talking about before, but you, your shoulders aren't as developed relative to your upper traps, it can make you look a little bit more narrow. And that's why I use the example. I think I mentioned it before, but Marcus Rule, how he looked a little bit more narrow by perception next to someone like Ronnie Coleman, just because his upper traps stuck out so monstrously, mm-hmm. so freaky that it actually made him look a little thinner relative to someone like Ronnie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how that works. It's just like all proportions. That's the art form of bodybuilding right there. Yeah. And which perfectly leads right into exercise selection. Okay. So like like we mentioned before, bare minimum, one horizontal major row and one vertical, also a major pull in this case. And what you have to understand is it's not like this perfect science of, oh, you, it's going to develop your lats a certain way, like thickness, wideness. But it does cover a lot of bases in your movement patterns of your body. So when we say like a horizontal row or or a push or a vertical pull or a push, that if you do those movements, that it does cover majority of the muscle groups in your, in this case, back. So it doesn't do a perfect job. It just covers that base. And just understand that once you have those really good techniques down, then you can start adding other exercises to further develop your back yep so let's go into maybe some of the best exercises two or three each for horizontal rows and then vertical rows and then Mm -hmm. we can go into even more specifics after that so i think for vertical pulling i mean there's really going to be two big ones and that's going to be your pull-ups and of course there's different variations with close grip and wide grip and we'll actually talk about that because that's a huge debate online i don't know if you guys know but um and then also you're going to have your lat pull downs which there's even more variations of that And then when you get to horizontal rows, you're going to have your barbell rows, a variation that I know you do a lot, Chris, the Penlay row, which you have to have a good amount of hamstring flexibility for that. Yeah, not not for me. (laughs) And then um, you have your dumbbell rows or your cable rows with if you want to use the triangle or whatever other um, attachment you want to use there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's start off with the technique for horizontal pulling. Yep. Uh, So for at least two hands. What you're really thinking about as your hands as an attachment, but the actual movement is occurring in the shoulder blades, the shoulders, and then what you're going to proxy is the elbow. So what I mean by that is when you're holding something in front of you for a row, you're trying to relax your shoulders. You're trying to pull it back behind you by sticking out your chest. If you don't, your shoulders will round forward into bad posture. And we call that, I call that shoulder dumping because that's easy for my clients to understand as if something is sitting on top of your shoulders like a gnome. And if you tilt it forward, that the gnome will just fall over. And if you do it correctly, that the gnome should stay on your shoulders the entire time, but your shoulders will be shifting back. So the entire picture, hands start in front of you, put your shoulder shoulders down into, the, into your own pockets. And from there, you're gonna pull directly behind you by sticking out your chest and always keeping your elbows in line with your waist or really close to it and squeezing your elbows behind your back. Those are some of the best cues that I've given my clients over the times. And that's just a double, overarching double hand gripped yeah. horizontal row. And if you're doing single arm, this is going to get maybe a little bit more specific. Like you're gonna be able to get that elbow to touch your spine a little more, metaphorically speaking. Like that's what you're literally trying to do, but you're trying to almost bring your elbow inwards a little mm-hmm. more as opposed to just straight back because that's going to allow you to get that even deeper contraction on your lat probably your terrace major as well and um yeah i i blanked there a little bit but <laughs> um well another thing that i was going to say is that we were talking about this before a little bit is let's say that you're doing a single arm 
dumbbell row, people talk about, oh, you don't want to rotate your spine at all, or you should rotate your spine. So my thoughts on that are pretty much learn to do the movement first without rotating your spine whatsoever. And then as you get accustomed to the movement and you're trying to get an even deeper contraction, going back to where I said, touch your elbow to your spine, under no circumstance should you ever rotate your lumbar spine during that movement, but your thoracic spine, as long as you're properly stabilizing and bracing, you can rotate it a little bit, not while using momentum though, just to get that peak contraction a little bit more. Yeah. Understand the lats do attach to the spine. So it will want to rotate. It does do some sort of rotation or aid your spine in a little bit of rotation. So once you do have that base of a good, we call it shoulder extension for the one arm row, then you're able to add a little bit of thoracic rotation in there. Yeah. And that's exactly what I do. So when you see is when I put out my uh, back day or pull day, that some exercise, I will rotate a little bit. And that's just because I like, I like to feel that peak contraction of my lats, especially for a vertical pull or a or single arm horizontal pull of that sort. Yeah, we're not saying when you get to that point to rotate 90 degrees. Like, <laughs> like yeah, this. we're saying a little. Rotation. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, all right, so maybe we'll get into vertical pulls then. So that's going to be your your pull-ups and your lat pull-downs, best form for that. Mm -hmm. So vertical pulling, uh, we I recommend to start off most of my clients is twofold, actually. So if you're going to do, I think a lat pull-down is an easier barrier to entry because a lot of people can't do pull-ups. Yep. Pull-ups are one of the hardest bodyweight exercises out there, and it should be a goal of yours if that is part of your fitness journey. But with lat pull-downs, I can sit anybody on there. With a lat pull-down, you can actually choose a multitude of attachments. So let's just say you have the regular attachment where you have a straight bar with at the very edge bending down about 30 degrees and comes out pretty short at the very end. So I actually teach my clients both where they're about a little bit wider than shoulder width, still on the straight portion of the bar. And what I really focus on with this will be, are they able to lean back with just their upper back? So what you want to do is you want to pop your chest up towards the anchor point and then from there from a dead hang position you're going to pull your shoulder blades down as you do so and pull by bringing your shoulders back behind you and elbows behind you while sticking out your chest to the bar so you're really doing something called like a superman chest as you're getting to the end range and same thing as before if i put a gnome on your shoulders and you dump it off you will see it and it does not look pretty. It actually kind of gives me a little, well, what's the word? It scares me a little bit. But because it, it looks terrible. People are going to say that's offensive, the gnomes, the next thing you know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, like it basically dumps off and it looks like as if you're straining everything. I, I remember trying to practice this with my client, like telling them what not to do. And it actually hurt, like it was like bothering me later. I was like, this, this is like not trying hurt. to pull it back, right? Well, I think the technical term for that is like perturbation, right? Is like when you're literally pull, like manipulating their body to do the movement properly. Oh, perturb yeah, perturbation is is uh tapping. This is tapping, yeah. Okay, so it's in this case, like you're back. like for me, like I've literally just pulled, yeah, pulled people back. Yeah, yeah. As a trainer, like I will, I will gladly put my knee against <laughs> your like mid back, and I will pull you back as if I'm catapulting something. <laughs> you're just like slingshotting them into the machine. Yeah, I have to because you people don't understand how far back you really can yeah. go. So for those on the camera screen, uh, I'm gonna do it as I talk it through is if you do it correctly, that your chest will really pop through and you look like you honestly just own the place. Yeah, and we're not saying the arch through your lumbar spine and just sticking your stomach out. It's actually in the upper part of your back. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is stick your chest up from the upper back and you will realize that your chest can really go pretty far up as you try to squeeze your elbows behind your back. When done properly, you can really feel the muscles right underneath the armpits in this case. And in this position, like we said before, it's in the moderate side. So you're able to get really far back. You're really thinking about getting behind you as much as you can. Whereas this second vertical pull variation is now we're going to go wider. So pretty much all at the ends. Yeah, basically the ends of the bar. And you're going to notice it's pretty far out, like 45 to 60 degrees. And in this case is you're really thinking about pulling the bar apart as you're doing the same thing, leaning back just a little bit this time, be less than the first time. And you're really thinking about bringing your elbows in as much as you can while popping your chest up. And you're going to realize is one is really hitting what we call the downward rotators, but still around those, it's still lats and Terry's major and all those back muscles. But it also helps you just feel those muscles out where you can actually feel that shoulder blade moving down as you do so. And I, I just make sure I teach my clients both of the variations 
because I want them to develop a very well-rounded back. Yeah, exactly. So, well, this gets into the debate of back width versus thickness, which grip to use. It usually relates more to vertical pulls, and we're going to go into your elbow position and how important that is, which is even more important, really, than how wide you are gripping. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of – so, basically, the fitness myth or idea goes like this. It's that you, wide grip for wider back, narrow grip for – uh, thicker back. I believe that's how it goes, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, so that's been around for, I mean, I'm sure from before I was born is my best guess. And usually, like, people didn't really second guess it because it's the most jacked people saying that. And they probably just did all variations, so it didn't matter. Uh, when I first started getting into fitness, I watched, uh, shout out to Jeff Nippard. He did a whole video where he examined, like, 17 different studies of it, doing all different grips. So pronated versus supinated, wide grip versus... Um, a more closer grip on the lap pull-down machine predominantly. And what he found is that, if anything, it was actually the opposite. So this doesn't take into account, like, individual technique variants, which we're going to get into. But he actually found that more of, like, a medium to closer grip actually is going to work your lats more, which is typically associated with having that wider back. And that a wider grip is actually going to predominantly get you that, quote-unquote, thicker back, which is really just enlarging the muscles in your middle back. So mm-hmm. that is within all the context of being in individual studies and people not like there being individual technique and some people were beginners, some people were advanced, I'm sure. So it's going to be all over the place, but that was the general consensus. And also, by the way, it was decided that the pronated grip beat the supinated grip for back activation, probably because people were using their biceps more with the supinated Mm -hmm. grip. But then what Chris was explaining to you guys before with that with that very wide grip variation, if you're really trying to touch your elbows into your spine like that, then you're actually going to be, interestingly enough, working your teres major more than you would be if you were doing that closer grip. And that's yeah. also going to make your lat look or your back look wider in that front lat spread as well. So really it's very contextual. Like not that there's I don't want to say there's misinformation on top of misinformation, but there's just so much missing context when we talk about all these things and we debate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we just recommend once you get through the pulling, understanding how to get your shoulders all the way behind you, shoulder extension. And once you're able to feel out those muscles, it seems as if once you clear that base, then you can start adding in like the ones, the touch-up pieces. But some people will be in that genetic pool where they just do one exercise, one exercise or two exercises per back day. And it covers their entire back and they have a great back. Whereas even for myself, I know I after get my vertical and horizontal pulling, I need to still work on a higher pulling mid-row for my rhomboids yeah. and my mid-traps. I and I also need to do uh, very wide, very wide lat pull downs just so I can actually get the underneath my armpits. Because when I do pull-ups, I can feel in my lats, but I definitely don't squeeze or get good enough contraction underneath my armpits near the Terry's major. Yeah, so your lats are still up there too. But I think usually when you're doing that closer grip, same with me, I'm feeling more the lower portion of my lats to medium part and not the upper part. So that's why that variation, I'm going to program in my next cycle just because it's crazy doing the movement without the bar. I've never felt my back contracting that way. It's crazy how that works. Um, Let's talk about a little bit just about how elbows relate a little bit more. So I know we talked about that, but just the idea from your – back delts, your rear delts, all the way to your lower lats, where your elbow is actually pulling to, which muscle it's pulling to, almost think about it as if it was an arrow, is actually what muscle that's typically going to work more. So yes. John Meadows used that um, recipe to him. He was awesome, like a great coach. I always wanted to meet him. I never got to. Yeah. But um, he used that as a general rule of thumb. That's where I first learned that from, and we've talked about that a lot too now. But like generally, like imagine if you're doing a pulling exercise for your rear delts, like you're going to pull in line with your rear delt. And that's, that's literally what the movement is. And then if you are trying to work your middle back, your elbow is going to go down a little bit more and you're going to focus on retracting your scapula a little bit more, squeezing your shoulder blades together. And then if you're working your lower lat a little more, you're going to be bringing your elbow in pretty much all the way, trying to touch that to your spine. So it's almost as if it starts up here and goes all the way down. You're working different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, follow your elbow for your back. That's how you do it. So don't overcomplicate it. Like, don't, this is like the nuances after you've covered all your bases, but it's just interesting once you get to a more advanced point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just whatever hand position that you generally feel in the beginning. So find a position, use it for about 
four to five, four to six weeks for an entire block. And then the next block, play with a different variation of your handles and wherever your hand position is. And then from there, if you go, okay, I feel one more than the other, then you can use that primarily as generally your pulling technique. Well, otherwise you do need to experiment with it, but we just recommend doing it about four to six to eight weeks before you switch out some sort of technique in that same movement, because otherwise you didn't give your body enough time to understand what you're doing, or at least trying to squeeze or understand what it is meant to do. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about straps a little bit, just as a consideration using like Versa grips or your straps? Because I mean, now I was in this phase, almost like this Frank Zane phase where it's like, it was only about feeling the muscle. So I was just using straps for all pulling movements. Cause I only wanted to feel the muscle. Now there's definitely a time and place for that. And I'm going to be doing that again, but right now I'm just trying to progressive overload on the big movements we talked about. I'm not too concerned about not activating my biceps at all during the movement. So that's the general idea is that when you're using straps, I think it's really helpful for people that are pulling with their forearms and biceps almost more than their back. I think that's when it could come in handy. Mm -hmm. But um, generally, the fix to that, if you're not going to be using straps, is the idea that you should be pulling with your elbows and think as if your hands are just like a lever that's like basically limp and just like hanging there. Like I put my um, thumbs above the bar with the rest of my fingers and I kind of just like dangle them there. I'm just focusing on pulling with my elbows. A lot of people will just squeeze with a death grip really hard and they're using their hands, their forearms, their biceps in conjunction with their back to get that weight down. And uh, that's some people are going to struggle to grow their back because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, consideration for straps or any sort of grip support is you, you got to understand that if you're doing in a singular day a heavy deadlift into a moderately heavy row into a another heavy pole or vertical pole here that your grip is going to be taxed so i'm not saying that you you shouldn't be using straps what i'm going to say is if it's already fatigued your grip but not your back then i do recommend adding in straps especially to the point where if it's going to cause some sort of detriment to yeah. your back performance because then at that point if your grip fails not your back which happens a lot when you do a full mm -hmm. pull day then your lats aren't getting fully stimulated as it can be. And it's just mostly just grip hindrance. That is a massive consideration. And then the one Benji just alluded to, that makes a lot of sense because you need to understand what it feels like to pull and squeeze each individual back muscle after you've, after you've covered the main base of the one horizontal, one vertical pull. But, but I always will recommend having a strong grip first anyways. Yeah. But in this case, if your grip is just slightly weaker, then you probably do need to work on your grip. But grips, grip and grip assistance stuff will help if in or depending on if you do need these movements to be done. Yeah, I think it's good to focus on having a stronger grip just for your lifestyle and overall health going forwards into older age and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, like you said, it gets to a point where you just are getting so strong and you are doing so much volume that you don't want to allow your grip to become a limiting factor, especially if your main goal is just hypertrophying the muscles and you're not a power lifter that in competition can't use straps. So let's say that you're doing a movement like you've already done deadlifts that day, you've already done a pull movement that day, and then you're finishing up with lat pull downs and it's your eight and ninth sets of the day, then you don't want your grip to become the limiting factor where, okay, you could have done 12 reps, but you only did eight because your grip failed and not actually your lats and other muscles. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about deadlifts as a consideration just in terms of allocating volume towards that. Like, should you count your, and I think this is the question that a lot of people might have is, should you count your deadlifts towards back volume? Should it be half of your, should it be half of a back exercise? Is it a leg exercise? What is it? Yeah, so it actually comes down to individual variants here. So you have people who, when they, after they deadlift and they're rocked, their lats and their erectors are rocked for about two to three days, then yes, you're in your situation, your back is going to be affected a lot more than the average person. Now you have a guy like me who enjoy, I do enjoy deadlifting and gets a really developed back from heavy, heavy holding yeah. and pulling, but I don't feel that sore or tight with my back at all after deadlifts. So in my cases, yes, I am considering that is systemically fatiguing, but I'm not being like, okay, that was a set for back. Yeah. It's just like, I will take into consideration that I'd added deadlifts that day. And then I'd also did 
eight sets of pull that that day yeah. with it. So maybe instead of doing 10 to 12 sets of back that day or that week, you might do eight to 10, right? Like just pull it back a little bit if you're systemically fatigued. Yeah, just just deadlifts are the most one of the most taxing exercises, especially for the regular the regular lifts, not Olympic lifts. That that exercise itself is the most demanding. So having that and then doing your pulling will be massively fatiguing. So just it's just in consideration of how how fatigued do you get already deadlifting in your back? And then think about in consideration to will I have a good pulling day afterwards too. But otherwise you can count it if it's very sore and don't count it as much just to put in consideration if you don't really feel that sore in your lats or mid back after your deadlifts. Yep, exactly. So that pretty much covers all our grounds for as a back training relates to your programming, what exercises should you be doing, how many days a week, how many sets, how many reps within failure and whatnot. Let's go into some mistakes and myths now that some people make. We have a list here, and one of the first ones, it's going to be twofold. It's going to be using too much weight, so the ego lifting side of things, <laughs> and then too little weight as well. A- any thoughts on this right off the bat? Uh, yeah, too much weight just results into a lot of momentum, and with a lot of momentum becomes basically just useless exercises. We call it uh, junk volume. That's That's coined right now. And for the image of this, think of somebody – putting on way too much for a barbell row or a cable row and you see them in this case the barbell row them absolutely jerking the bar up into their belly button and then doing almost as if like they're dry humping the air and bringing their elbows behind you like a chicken so that is the barbell row and the cable row i'm sure you've seen plenty of people start up nice and tall and by the end of the rep that they're upper shoulder area is almost touching (laughs) like the bench the bench yeah so that's uh, side of too much weight and too little weight is when you see somebody do it like it's absolutely perfect it looks beautiful but they're just going forever they do feel it but they just stop halfway through and with back it's actually one of the easiest muscles to understand that you're you failed is that you can't go all the way back anymore so yeah that's when it goes back to standardizing your range of motion you can't touch that bar to your sternum or you can't touch the dumbbell to your hip on a horizontal row mm-hmm. um you're, you're absolutely right i think a lot of people like it's interesting, you once you learn to leave your ego at the door, sometimes, and this is the mistake I made, <clears throat> you think about, okay, now it's only about feel. Like it's only like your the dumbbell I, I've said this multiple times, like the dumbbell only recognizes um or what what was it that I used to say? I'm trying to think of the phrase now, I'm blanking, but I think I used to say something like your muscle doesn't recognize the weight on the number on the side of the dumbbell it recognizes the stimulus, which is true, but when you're just like a applying that philosophy to every little thing and like everything has to be completely perfect on a like a micro scale then you're just not you're gonna not be able to progressive overload because you're only focusing on squeezing the muscle so that if you are a half inch away from getting that full range of motion and touching your dumbbell to your hip or to the top of your sternum it just for you you're just gonna stop and you're not gonna do any more and you're not gonna get close to exhausting your lats or whatever muscle group you're targeting that's a problem as well so mm-hmm. I've ran into that. So I think a lot of people, they go like on either, they flip-flop between the two. And I think you have to find that happy medium, right? We were talking before about another consideration where is using a little bit of momentum to get that peak contraction on the back and actually being able to hold that heavy weight there, right? So that I think is something where the back might respond a little better to than other muscle groups. Yeah, so being that the force curve in the back, all that's saying is in every movement that there are, points in the exercise where it is very disadvantageous for that joint slash muscle group. So for pulling muscles in the back, that when you get towards the top, it becomes significantly harder. Hence why you can always do like a half a pull up, but you can't do the last range of the pull up or in the cable row that you're getting it halfway. But once you get it past or close to the belly button, then it becomes a lot tougher. And in this case, when you're doing so, you just want to make sure Got to make sure that you are squeezing at the end. But to, if you do use some sort of momentum, which we don't recommend for the beginners and intermediates as much, but that you can use a little bit of momentum, but you got to make sure that you can hold at the top. That is what gives you the most stimulus because you are actually giving it what you, let's say, could do with 50 pounds of the cable row. Perfect technique. If you put on, let's say, 60 and you give yourself a little, moment, little more momentum pulling towards the low, lowest part of your stomach, 
and you're able to hold and control it, then yes, you can make a case for it. But that's just after the fact that you can pull correctly without that. Yeah, exactly. I think you explained that really well. Um, another big one is, and we talked about this before, but we see this all the time, is people just not covering their bases of having a horizontal and vertical pull. They're going to be doing lots of tiny isolation movements. Like I've seen, and I mean, I think when I first lifted, I did this as well. Like I was doing lots of dumbbell shrugs for my traps and like I wasn't mm-hmm. even doing a horizontal pull. Like during the whole week, yeah, right. So like I wasn't even doing a dumbbell row or a barbell row, but I was doing shrugs. Right? That's not going to develop my back. It's not going to make it thicker. It's not going to make it wider. And really, what wider and thicker just means is that your muscles that are going to make your back wider are just bigger, and that your muscles that make your back thicker are just bigger. <laughs> That's all that really means, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So I like we said before, have at least for, as a beginner four to five sets of. Your vertical pulling, four to five sets of your horizontal pulling, work your way up from there, and then fill in the puzzle pieces once you see how your back responds after probably at least multiple months. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I had my first coach uh, teach me just overall good technique. He didn't know all the programming, and I just was performing whatever he told me to do. But the general setup that he had for us was understand good technique, be in the right position. And then from there, really try to focus on working – getting more pull-ups in, uh, getting stronger and stronger at one-arm dumbbell rows, and carrying some heavy-ass weight. And getting those three in, I cannot tell you, blew up, like just blew up my back, even though I didn't really feel my lats very well at the time. It's just at least being in those right positions and having having those programmed in set, set myself up for really, really good back training in the future because I had the, I was able to, let's say, at 18 years old, with no straps, which is not allowed in that gym, I was able to hold 100-pound dumbbells without a problem. I, I'm not saying I could roll it properly at the time. It definitely was not technically correct. But understand that I had the, the strength to be able to hold a dumbbell and be able to move that around yeah. without a problem. I definitely was not using my they lats. They didn't like use straps? No. No straps. Because <laughs> your grip needed to be strong enough, right? Yeah, no straps. Basically, if you're unable to pull it uh, raw, that you're unable to do it overall. And I, I agree with that to some sense. But just to understand, if you have a good, strong vertical, horizontal, and a heavy hold – you have covered most of your back already. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to covering your basis. Lots of people, I think a large percentage of people, whether they know it or not, they do those two to three exercises for years on end. And most of their back development is going to come from that. And then you have the other 5, 10, 15% that's lacking. That's going to come from those other movements. So of course you need to find what works. You need to auto-regulate. You need to see, okay, Maybe my elbows are a little better in this position than here when I'm doing a lat pull down. And this is the lat pull down variation I'm going to do. Or maybe you see that you just, your, your mind and body connect better with doing a single arm, dump, single arm dumbbell row than a single arm cable row, right? That's completely okay. You need to take your own individual circumstances, anatomy and whatnot into consideration. And I think that's a big thing that some people that kind of leads into another mistake is just copying what someone else does because they have a big back. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, really stupid but it makes sense from a psychological perspective okay like you see x person has the biggest back of all time so i'm just going to listen to him but there's people like imagine if you just took advice from Rolly linkler for triceps for example like what if he just didn't do any tricep exercise properly but because his triceps are just so awesome like you just went with that right like that's not necessarily you might just be like working completely wrong muscle group i'm just giving an example like i'm not saying he trains it wrong mm-hmm. but like when people have these genetic body parts that are so huge, it's not just from their training, right? Like I, I'm pretty sure if I did Tom Platz's leg training, I wouldn't ever show up to the gym ever again because I'd have done like 700 reps of like astagrass squats. Like I would never be able to do that, right? So like, yeah. um, when when it comes like when it comes to mimic, don't mimic other people's training. Do do what's right for you at this point of time in your training. Like I alluded to before, when you're looking at someone like one of these Olympians that I was telling you guys about, they're on their chap. They're on the last chapter of their bodybuilding journey. You're on chapter one. So you shouldn't be copying them because they've learned a lot more about their body along the way. They've had different injuries, different circumstances, different genetic weak points and strong points. So just cover your bases. Like actually make it more simple. Like we've went into all the little specifics, but the extrapolation from it is actually to make it more simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So one thing about, choosing which modality is best for you 
uh, just some considerations to think about. So with free weights for the back muscles, uh, I think they're amazing. They do a great job because you're able to manipulate the movement any way you need to, to be able to pull it. Now, I myself, an example of that when I use free weights and just free weights, that it does a great job. I do a lot of penlay rowing, a lot of dumbbell rowing, but the actual contraction of it isn't the greatest from them. So I'm not saying you have to do free weights all the time. It's just a consideration that you do have a lot of range of motion, a lot of will to be able to do whatever it is that you want to manipulate. And what goes for machines and what machines do a great job of is that it puts you set in a position, but since it's set, you're really able to focus on squeezing or pulling or moving in a certain way that you may able to feel some sort of muscle. So that's why when I, when I, when people say machines are free weights for the back muscles, at least yeah, that you're able to, whatever you're able to squeeze and feel out, that is probably a good movement overall for you. Okay. So I'm not saying one is better than the other. Every time you look at any sort of study on this, it's just, if you're generally getting stronger with these movements and you're able to feel it most likely, then you're by proxy going to get stronger and bigger in those target areas. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, with machines, especially a lot of it comes down to not only how the, the machine is set up, but your own anatomy. Like if Shaquille O'Neal sits down in like a ab crunch machine, like he might not be able to do it properly because it's yeah. way too big. Um, different back machines, people are going to feel in different areas just because of the, even if you change the seat, right? Their torso is going to be different sizes. So yep. When you're pulling, this goes back to where your elbows, the direction they're going in, it is going to work more or less that muscle, the direction it's going in. So if I'm doing a back machine and I'm trying to target my lats, maybe the machine has it in such a way where my elbows aren't able to come fully in and down and trying to touch my spine. Instead, they're flared out more and I can't get that contraction because of the way my body is in the machine setup. In that case, then that machine is not going to be a good exercise for my lats. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's going to be a good exercise for my middle back, my rhomboids, my middle to lower traps. Mm -hmm. So all these considerations are very important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why my first few coaches, they that's why they emphasize free weights first. Because yeah. you have you have to make the weight feel good to you as best as it can. Right? We're not like if I have no background of machines, which I did not till I was four years into lifting, by the wow. way. We had yeah. no machines at that gym. So that's crazy. Yeah, you had to you had to use what you had. Which I appreciate because mm -hmm. it, it made you very creative in your movements and you had to understand just basics of exercise to feel the lats, to feel the rhomboids, to feel all these different exercises. Because yeah. you really can. You could, do, you could do every movement with a dumbbell and you can do a vertical pull with pull-ups. Yeah. So, yeah, so but then when you do all of those free weight exercises, like you said, you did it for years before going over to machines. You knew exactly how a muscle was supposed to feel yes. while doing a machine that targeted that muscle. So when you cover your basic grounds of doing everything with free weights first. And this is just an example. It's not saying you have to only do free weights first, but then you, all of those things will translate over to every other exercise you ever do. Yes. So when we're doing like starting strength or foundations for people, when they first start lifting, whenever we say now, okay, do this machine, they're, they're, they're not going to even need to watch a video because they know exactly how X muscle group is supposed to feel while doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I was just gonna say, I think that's why, like, by the way, I get really angry with machines that, um, the ones that move and they suck, like basically those machines just suck. Yep. Um, people that don't lift a lot think they're awesome. And it's because they put them technically in a more, a better position to not get hurt. And just, if you have no idea what you're doing, you're going to feel like it's working that muscle a little more, but you really have no idea what the actual proper form is and what that muscle is supposed to be feeling. So that's when you hear more experienced lifters like us. We get really pissed off at those machines. Those are the, the hoist ones, right? The yeah. ones that move. Um, that's because they're actually taking us out of an anatomically correct position to be able to properly move our body and feel the muscle we're trying to target. So that's yeah. just some... They're just caveats, but just make sure that you understand the fundamental principles of yeah, exactly. pulling movements. And once you go from there, then you can start playing with machines, and then m manipulating some parts of it to make it feel your back more, but definitely cover those bases. Absolutely. And then when he goes towards bands, uh, especially with bands themselves, they get harder as you get further away or you pull them apart. So that's already a problem. Since the lats already, get, as they pull closer towards 
the finishing point of the movement, it already gets harder. So you're doing a double whammy. So the band is getting harder as it's lengthening. And it's also getting harder as you're getting closer to the end rep range of a lat pull. Then that's a, we call it a disadvantageous position for both. So if possible, we recommend doing either free weights, machines, your body weight, more so than bands overall for your back. And it, like I said before, yeah. it's just as you're pulling, it becomes even harder. And the muscle itself is already getting harder as you get towards the end rep range. So it just seems as if it's not conducive to your back. And yeah, that pretty much covers everything. Uh, remember, guys, visit www.thegenerationfit.com. We've got tons of free resources. I want to try to say something different this time, but that's you know, we got tons of free resources, <laughs> lots of um, videos. We got our newsletter. If you guys are a podcast listener and you listen to this episode, you will get 10% off our tra training packages if you tell us. 